Hello everyone, this is the third sermon in our Advent series, Finding God in Unexpected Places. Today we're looking at Matthew 2 verses 1 to 12 and we're finding God above our heads. My wife is terrible at directions. On one occasion when we were living in South London, she set off with some friends for a short break away in the New Forest on the South Coast. After a couple of hours, I got a phone call. I admit it, I was quite relieved because I was worried about how she would make it. This must be her ringing in to say that she had arrived. But oh no. This was Emily ringing in to say that she was completely lost and the last sign she had seen told her that she was somewhere north of Watford. Yes, Emily had missed her turn off the M25 and was now 85 miles away from her destination. It is due to my wife's challenges with directions that when driving, she is utterly reliant on her sat-nav, or Google Maps on her phone as it now is. She just cannot get anywhere without it. But it's not all that long ago that the sat-nav of the day was the stars in the night sky. Sailors in particular would navigate right around the globe by looking up at their heavens and taking their bearings from well-known constellations. Now I think that we're all glad that we don't need to rely on the stars anymore. Can you imagine people driving around Isla looking up out the sunroof rather than through the windscreen? There'd be crashes everywhere. And who knows where Emily would end up when it was cloudy. I'd be getting phone calls from Portner Haven. But though this is true, I wonder if we've become so used to looking down at our electronic devices that we now fail to look up at all. What I mean by that is when life is difficult, when we feel lost in the world, we look down at ourselves and the technology at our fingertips. We look at Facebook and YouTube and to what celebrities may be doing online to find our way rather than looking up, up to God, the sovereign of the universe. Our series leading up to Christmas is all about finding God in unexpected places. I wonder if nowadays one of those places is right above our heads. We just don't expect to be able to look up to God and find him ready, able and willing to help. Think about this. When we look up at the night sky, we see the stars that make up the galaxy of the Milky Way. Just one of the 200 billion galaxies in the universe. In the Milky Way alone, there are 300 billion stars. Now, those stars are so far away from us that the light from even the nearest one takes four years to get to Earth. Now you think what you were doing four years ago. Emily and I were in London. Emily was at college and my ministry was very different to what it is now. Four years ago, that light was emitted by those stars and only now has it reached us here on Isla. The dimensions of space are extraordinary. We just cannot take them in. The universe is so big and we are so small by comparison. In Psalm 147, 
we read these words. The Lord determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. In other words, unfathomable as it is to us, God made every one of those stars. He put them in place and moment by moment he is holding them together all those light years away. His are the hands that flung stars into space as the song lyric goes. The God that we worship is the creator of all things, all things. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is the sovereign ruler of the universe with more power than we could ever imagine. Yet Psalm 147 has much more to say about God. It places this verse about the stars in the middle of a whole collection of beautiful promises. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble but cast the wicked to the ground. In other words, our God is the sovereign creator. He numbers the stars and calls them by name. And yet, and yet, he loves his people even more. He uses his great creative power to rescue the captives, heal the broken, sustain the humble, protect those under attack. This is the God we worship. This is the God well above our heads. And yet so many of us, when we are struggling, when we are lost, fail to look up. We just don't look to God for help. We turn inwards and we turn to technology, hoping that that will get us out of our hole. For some things it works. Technology is great. But the virus this year has also taught us that there are many things that this coping mechanism doesn't work for at all. By always looking down and inwards, we are imprisoning ourselves in hopelessness and despair. We really do need to look up and look out to someone with more power than ourselves. Where am I going with all of this? Well, in Matthew 2, we read the famous bit of the Christian story where the star appears in the east, the bright star that guides the Magi to the Messiah. Now, if light takes four years to reach us from the nearest star, that means God must have prepared this event a long, long time in advance. The arrival of his son on earth was all part of a divine plan for the Lord to save his people. God even ordered the very heavens, the elements of the solar system, to make it take place the way he wanted. This is awesome, awesome power at work. This then brings us to the Magi, and these fascinate me. It's really important we understand who the Magi were. And spoiler alert, they were not kings and there were not three of them. Magi were a priestly caste from Zoroastrianism. Zoroaster was a pagan Persian prophet from the 6th century BC. 
He set up a belief system made up of astrology, horoscopes, magical incantations, and the science of the stars. The Magi then were part of the learned elite, but they were definitely not Jewish. They had educated themselves about other religions, they knew their prophecies and hopes, but they did not hold to them. They were stargazers, looking for the divine in the heavens. You see, the Magi had developed the study of the stars into a fine art, giving each star a particular meaning. They believed that the whole world was interconnected, and so when something important happened on Earth, you could expect it to be reflected in the heavens, and vice versa. If a remarkable event happened in the heavens, you could expect something to happen on Earth. This kind of thinking would have meant that to the Jews... The Magi would have been considered unclean, stained by their pagan dark arts. But the great thing that they had going for them was that they were curious. They always wanted to know more and believe that the source of life was up and out beyond themselves. Now, much research has been done into what the Magi saw up in the sky. We now know that in the year 7 BC, around when Jesus was born, there was an unusual conjunction of the planets. In particular, on May the 27th that year, Jupiter and Saturn came into line with each other and with the Pisces constellation. This conjunction would have produced a great light and was so unusual that when the Magi saw it, they began their calculations. In Babylonian astrology, Jupiter was the royal planet. It represented a king. Saturn was the planet linked to the Jews, and Pisces was the constellation of Palestine. Put the three together, and what do you get? A new king of the Jews to be found in Palestine, just as the Old Testament had predicted. The Magi spent their life investigating signs and symbols like this, so immediately on its appearance they knew what they must do. They went to seek this king. Now let's just pause and take this in. The creator God has arranged it that the birth of his son coincides with an astrophysical phenomenon. He uses that to guide pagan priests from an unclean religion to the house of Jesus. Magi, who are not his people, not devout worshippers, but just curious. People willing to look out from themselves and up to the divine. This is just incredible. God always said he would bring the nations to himself, but no one foresaw him doing it this way. It is yet another reminder that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He is above and beyond us in every way. He is above our heads. As Christians, we do not worship the stars, but the God who created them, the God who placed them and named them the God of such creative power, yet who also loves us enough to give us his son. We would be fools not to look up to him. So why is it then that so often we are reluctant to look up to God, to call out to him in prayer, to seek his help and throw ourselves upon him in dependence? Well, this passage tells us that sadly, one of the main reasons is self importance. We are just too self-important to take the attention off of ourselves and place it onto someone else. 
Let us now meet Herod. The Magi have been travelling for months, 900 miles, scholars reckon. When they finally arrive at the palace, their calculations tell them that the star appeared above. On arrival, they immediately go in because that is where you would expect a new king to be found. But of course, instead, they find Herod. Now, Herod was not a Jew and he was not really a king either. He was a puppet that the Romans had brought in from Idumea to do their dirty work for them. Herod's job was to suppress the Jews and keep them quiet while the Romans went on with the task of building their empire. For 33 years, Herod served in this role. He named himself King of the Jews, but he was hated by them. He was nothing short of a tyrant. Herod's greatest shortcoming was arrogance. His reign was one long vanity project. He built splendid theatres and fortresses, monuments and palaces. Most vainly of all, he rebuilt the Jerusalem temple just to boost his own ego and prove he could do it. And Herod would brook no rival. Historical records tell us that he murdered his wife, three sons, his mother-in-law, brother-in-law, uncle and many others when he deemed them a threat to his power. Herod then is self-importance personified. Consequently, when the Magi arrive at his palace announcing a new king in the land, he is greatly disturbed. He just cannot compute that there might be someone with more power than himself. Now imagine how Herod felt when he heard about how Jupiter, Saturn and Pisces had all come into line to point to a set location. Imagine how he responded when his advisers concurred that this was in line with ancient Jewish prophecy. He must have been fit to burst. Stars did not align for his birth. He could not control the heavens himself. This was a power way beyond him, well above his head. The great tragedy, of course, is that Herod was so arrogant, he could never submit to it. He could never look up. He could never look past his own perceived brilliance. Consequently, he sets out on a plan to kill this rival. A plan that we shall see next week brings a huge wave of suffering across the land. A plan that will ultimately fail. Herod will soon be left with nothing at all and die a loser's death. But Herod teaches us an important lesson. When we encounter the truth of God's great sovereignty, we can go one of two ways. We can either resist it, which may seem okay in the short term, but ultimately ends in failure. Or we can submit to it, which unexpectedly in the end leads to joy. The great joy we get in the next scene as the Magi lay their gifts before the Lord is just a foretaste of it. God is above our heads. But that need not be a threat. It can be the greatest comfort and solace. For he wants to guide us from our sorrows to a place of great joy. But we must submit and let him do it. There is one final thing we must say about this passage. We have laboured the point that God is sovereign. He plans out history. He's mightier than earthly rulers. He controls the stars. He is above our heads. But remember this. That star in the night sky that guided the Magi, not just to a new land, but to a new faith, that star pointed down. 
Yes, God wants us to look up to him, up from all our troubles and self-importance. But we are always to know that this same sovereign God came down to us. When we stress God's sovereignty, we are in danger of making him sound unreachable. To say he is above our heads, make him sound beyond us, unfeeling, inaccessible in times of need. But nothing could be further from the truth. This sovereign creator God came right down to our level. He climbed in alongside us. He entered our neighbourhood and walked our dusty streets from where he can still be found. This God who is so highly exalted became low to save us. It's fascinating, isn't it? God came so low, the Magi had to get on their knees to approach him. They had to get into a posture of humility to draw alongside the child and give him their gifts. Gifts fit for a king, but given in the very ordinary village of Bethlehem. We are back at Psalm 147 again. God has the power to move the stars, but he uses that power to rescue his beloved people, to meet them in their place of need, bind their wounds, defeat their enemies and give them a hope that lasts for every tomorrow. We must look up to see God's star, but that star points down to show that God is with us every step of the way, wanting to guide us to our ultimate destination. We began this sermon with the illustration of a satnav. If you have been following a satnav, when you finish the journey, you hear the words, you have reached your destination. One day, if we trust him and follow his lead, we will hear Jesus say those words to us. We may have journeyed a strange route. We may often have gone wrong. The directions may have to have been recalculated several times. But like with the Magi, the sovereign God will eventually bring us to himself. This is the best possible news in the time of a global pandemic. It is the best possible news for us in our everyday lives, messy and broken as they are. But it is true. We just need to keep looking up from our sorrows and our confusion to the God who is unexpectedly above our heads and submit to him in prayer and faith.